everyone, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 22 of the Fan Fiction Tapes. I will be your host today, Maya, and I am joined by... Vesper. And I am our producer, Ian. Uh, today's episode is Trope Roundtable on MacGuffins. For those of you who aren't familiar with the term, this was originally coined by a friend of, I believe, Alfred Hitchcock. I can never remember his name. It's popularized by um, Alfred Hitchcock, but it's uh, he credited it to Angus MacPhail. Ah, Angus. All right, so uh, MacGuffin is a type of plot device where it's it doesn't really matter what it is. You could change it out for like a bar of soap, and theoretically, the plot could still work. There's no inherent properties of the item. But everybody wants it. It doesn't actually within the film do anything. Or, well, I say film because I'm thinking of Hitchcock and a couple of movies that's used it, but books, fanfic, whatever. You have it, but doesn't. Uh, a common comparison for MacGuffin is The One Ring, which is actually not a MacGuffin because The One Ring does things. But in the case of. So, a better example would be My Life Thus Far. <laughs> everybody wants a piece it's relatively worthless and uh don't seem to be doing anything mm. or have any net real importance or efficacy relatable <laughs> but anyways back to actual examples from fiction um hitchcock's uh maltese falcon the uh, the titular Maltese Falcon is eh, just a little statuette of a bird. Wait, excuse me. Did you just say titular? Yes, yes, I did. Is is that is that the proper? Is everyone saying it wrong? I am the only one who pronounces words correctly. Yes. Okay, fair enough. No, I. That's why I gave you like I was giving you the benefit of the doubt because I you know I, I do know you a bit. I am, but uh, I am I am on the secret board of directors of Merriam-Webster. Yes. Oh wow! Interesting. Um, well, you know, Honestly, you know a lot of people do me. call it titular, 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 titular. Um, you just—I mean—is it? Would I be able to get you to maybe pronounce it titular instead? I will take that under advisement and bring that up at our next quarterly meeting. Only because it's funner, not because it's right. <laughs> So Okay, moving on. <laughs> one example from MacGuffin that likely most are familiar with is the Ark of the Covenant from Raiders of the Lost Ark. It doesn't really, for most of the plotline, do anything. It's not actually used to accomplish anything. But at the end of the movie, which, spoilers, when the Nazis get it, they open it up and they all get their faces melted. One of my favorite movie scenes of all time, actually. Does a little bit more than your typical MacGuffin, but it is one that's pretty well known, along with probably my personal favorite example of a MacGuffin that I can think of is the scroll from Kung Fu Panda. Oh, shoot, mm. I haven't seen that movie. How? It's been out for, like, longer than I've been alive. But since you told me released, the title's but... Kung Fu Panda, you said it was a scroll, and it is a MacGuffin. I can already assume uh, what it's what it's uh, I've, what it was used for in the movie. I've seen <laughs> I've seen the scene. I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen the scene. <laughs> it's yes, just important. It is, there is a scroll. It's important. Everybody wants it because it reportedly has the ultimate kung fu knowledge on it, or something similar. Nice, and. It doesn't do anything for the plot, really. It's actually just a shiny scroll. Um, and that's kind of the thing, is it doesn't have any specialty to it. It's just a mirror. Interesting. And for the main character of Poe, that gives him some personal motivation. Goes, It's basically affirming you are enough for him. And it doesn't really do anything. The main bad guy wants it. The main bad guy actually gets his hands on it and looks at it. But it doesn't make him any better at kung fu. He still gets it's almost that. like it's on the cusp of uh, being a, a full plot device and a MacGuffin. It's flirting. It's flirting with the border. 
Well, MacGuffins are plot devices. It's just not all plot devices are MacGuffins because they pretty much exist to be. But yeah, it is at the end kind of almost escaping MacGuffin territory. It's interesting because um, that means in a weird sense, like Kung Fu Panda is a story about like um, kind of relevant to now. It's almost uh, like a race about about the race uh, to uh, nuclear arms in a sense. I've never seen it. I'm just assuming. You know, if if that scroll's so important, right? Like, I never really sat down and thought about it like that, but I could absolutely see a analysis of the movie centering around it being a depiction of Cold War conflict. Interesting. So the scroll makes you powerful, and uh, but it's not used in the movie at all. I guess is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. I, that's it's not really what's on the scroll it's what you realize by looking at the scroll if you're in the right frame of mind and what makes it a macguffin isn't that the knowledge that you gain by the scroll is going to give the protagonist the power to stop the bad guy or the antagonist the power to take over the world its relevance to the story is that everybody wants it yeah that's kind of what matters about macguffins if it's Mm -hmm. If you could swap it out with basically a mundane object and maybe with a little bit of work, it still functions, probably MacGuffin. Uh, One example that uh, OSP's Red gives on her episode about MacGuffins is an example of in a spy movie, if they have like a flash drive of classified documents and you swap it out for a bunch of fissile material and the plot more or less works the same then it's probably MacGuffin. but as long as the contents aren't really relevatory and not um used in the film you know in a significant way yeah and kind of to the natural then discussion point from that is what isn't a MacGuffin. so i mentioned the one ring from lord of the rings earlier and i'm going to talk about it a little bit more the one ring is has an impact on the story it's corruptive potential the potential potential mm-hmm. does affect the arc of things right the one ring tempts frodo it tempts boromir gives frodo ptsd along with being reasons why individuals like gandalf and galadriel can't just pick it up and Voop into Mordor. Yeah. So if you if you swap the One Ring out for a jar of pickles, you need to do a lot more work to make that correction. Yeah. It's yeah. Everybody can still want the jar of pickles, but the jar of pickles isn't going to just wear away at Fredo's mind. It's going not going to cause Gollum. Boromir probably wouldn't turn on the rest of the party for a jar of pickles because the jar of pickles can't influence him. Yeah, I see. Yeah, of course. Um, a good way to, I guess, boil that down would be, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's more like a dangling carrot, uh, that, that, uh, takes you on your horse from, uh, the beginning of the story to the end, uh, you know, rather than, you know, the sword in the stone, right. Where, there's a buildup, it's mysterious, and it's relatively, you know, um, not known if it will even be, you know, taken out in the story or by anybody or, uh, you know, I mean, it could be assumed, of course, you know, granted that most fantasy stories are hero tales and all that. Um, but, you know, eventually the sword does get pulled. Uh, the store ha- uh, The sword has qualities uh that are defined you know and important to the story structure um and enhance the character i guess too um in terms of just um it elevates the character's status you know uh the character in a way is like the chosen one for being able to pull it um but it also remains like in the story and you know becomes like full front and center with the character, you know. Yeah, the the dangling carrot's actually a really good analogy because it's you know. Oh, thank you. You 
can never really touch it. You don't, because MacGuffins don't really touch the plot that much, and you can never actually touch a dangling carrot. That is, yeah, that is a really good metaphor. Yeah, I, I, you know, you can try to reach for it, but it's really uh, you're it's dragging you along uh, for other reasons. You know, for the ride, I guess. Here's one to consider whether or not it's a MacGuffin. What about the uh, the Death Star plans from that, Star Wars ooh. Episode Four? Yeah, I think we have to be careful because now you're getting you're actually getting into an interesting territory where you know we're running the 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 gamut of grays now. We're yeah, in, it's, it's definitely. Area. In that gray, I think it's straddling the border a little bit more firmly on the MacGuffin side because, for like ninety percent of the time, it's not actually useful. Mm. Yeah, right? but I mean, it has just as much efficacy as the ring and Lord of the Rings because it is a weapon of mass destruction. Well, um, it's not easily swapped out with something because. Um, it is really just an efficient artificial star, if you will. It's a cylindrical object in space. You know, it's uh, spherical. Sorry. Um, excuse me. Uh, well, it's, so it's, it's a it's spherical, you know, but it it, 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 I think it's important to the plot in the same way Lord of the Rings is ring is also important to the plot. It's used to, you know, destroy planets in the series. Well, yeah, the Death Star is, but the the plans themselves don't do much, really, until... I Actually, yeah, I would say they probably are, because even the plans aren't that helpful. In the end, it requires Luke's use of the Force to land the torpedo down the shaft. Yeah, so it's like kind of... We're in that weird gray territory now, and I think the Death Star plans are a little bit more of... You know, a a, a a a supplementary plot device or object to the major plot device, um, and also we know exactly what's on the plans. So that's another major distinction, I would say. Ooh, that is that is a good point. We know There's what's on the very plans. specific. We're told exactly what's on that those plans, why they're important, and it ends up being the methodology uh, to destroy the Death Star. Does it pass the jar of pickles test? <laughs> Do um, I want to know what this jar of pickles test is? I mean, we've referenced it a couple times already. Can you replace <laughs> the Death Star plans with a jar of pickles and not have any major deviation to the plot? No. Um. Yeah, no, because you'd no. have to know about... Well, he could, I think, you could potentially work out that they knew about the hole, but I don't know if they would have known about specifically the trench. Because I think Galen Urso does mention it to the rebels prior to leaking the plants. Or at least specifically the fact that there's a hole you can shoot a torpedo down. Yeah, they expand on that in Rogue One. Um... Which I thought yeah, was fantastic. Yeah, it's been a few years. I think it's the better, the stronger of all the Star Wars movies. Uh, however, whatever criticisms anyone might have of uh, the perceived shallowness of the characters. But, um, yeah, no. I, I don't think it would be easily replaced. I think, you know, you'd, you'd have to replace it with something like, uh, you know, a person giving information directly, but even then it's, you know, it's a complex system over there, so if you look at it that way, they would still be needing to turn over some type of, you know, blueprint, you know, or something like that anyway. If you were to focus more on, like, the character, like, turning over information. So, I don't know. I think it's essential. I don't, I wouldn't say it's a MacGuffin, but it is driving the plot. Yeah, I, I would, you definitely can't replace it with a jar of pickles without doing some substantial work. I think if Rogue One had been released and then A New Hope, then it could pass the pickle test. But because 
information revealed within Rogue One was not revealed at the time of A New Hope's release, it can't pass the pickle test. I don't know. I think the standalone on its own for the original Star Wars series, um, because that's all I grew up with. um, I don't know. I I think it still passes the pickle test, in my opinion. I think if we were to classify that as a MacGuffin, um, that would make that would make a lot of things not pass the pickle test. If if like I just things that I would a lot of things I would consider, you know, also like major plot points and devices, you know, uh, I I think it would take away too much from that um, from well defined objects that fit into a story narrative i don't know that's that's my feeling i just i don't know if it's, if it's a MacGuffin. well it's because it's like if rogue one had come out first it could be plausible to pass off okay yeah the rebels heard about there's this one hole on the death star that they need to shoot a torpedo down and they have to get past the ray shielding they have to use unguided bombs but the some of the specifics, like the trench and stuff, I don't think you could really um, the exact location of it. I think would be harder to pass off, and are specifically what make it fail the pickle test. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I could I could see reasons for it, but I think we would have to unduly consider a lot of things, MacGuffins that shouldn't be if that one passes the test or doesn't pass the pickle test or whatever got that backwards forwards who knows um ian thoughts i am trying to remember how much of the empire's actions are driven in a new hope by trying to get the plans back um and I'm not really remembering much outside of, like, the first third, maybe, of the film. Um, the Empire is more concerned, as I recall, with finding the location of the Rebel base. Yeah, because so, they just want to, you know, it's easier to just destroy them yeah. uh, outright. Um, it's, it's an asymmetric uh, plot driver for the two sides of the conflict. So I think that's another way that it doesn't really pass the MacGuffin test. That's true. Interesting. Um, I will like to take this time to remind everyone that the entire movie revolves around the Death Star and that it is a clearly defined object with clearly defined information. Uh, it, it is made important right off the beginning of the movie. Um, so now the question is, is because it is such a clearly defined object, it is so intimately intertwined with the plot, um, the entire story. Are you, um, are you suggesting it, that the Death Star itself might be a MacGuffin? Um, no. I am suggesting hmm. that the Death Star plans most certainly aren't a MacGuffin, but in a way they're, you know, more critical information in the story besides... You know, once you know that the Death Star is a weapon of mass destruction, it's kind of all you need to know. Um, you know, and the plans are, they, they just have so many, I think it's just overlooked because Star Wars is a fantasy, non-fantasy, you know, so it's hard to look at it through the lens of like a fantasy movie sometimes, or like certain things get overlooked. Um, that's just at least my perception of science fiction. Uh, movies um you know when i watch fantasy i'm less concerned with how much i can feel like i could really be there you know uh, care less about like the magical things that are happening with sci-fi it's like things still need to have like some type of rooting in reality so i think a lot of things get overlooked uh but i would i would say i would say you know there's very it's a very very clear defined information so the question is is Knowing that, is it still a MacGuffin? I feel almost like there's three parts to a MacGuffin. Because the information's not supposed to be that important. 
in the MacGuffin. I think the plans on their own are the most interchangeable part. And the Death Star, everyone is motivated by it. The Rebels want to destroy it. The Empire want to use it to squish the Rebels. There's kind of the third part where you have to be able to interchange the object of desire without too much work that causes Star Wars to fail the pickle test. Yeah, I, that's what I'm saying is like, I don't, it's, it's, it's a great, you know, like, um, don't, don't mean to give Star Wars too much credit, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I love Star Wars, don't get me wrong. Um, the, the, the Star Destroyer, a great plot device. It's a great story narrative to be a tale of, you know, weapons of mass destruction, you know, um, even though that's kind of, you know, uh, it's kind of a trope in sci-fi. And I think it's, you know, important to consider that, you know, just it's, there are some things about, yeah, even the Death Star that, like what you guys both said, um, maybe the Death Star is even more of a MacGuffin in that way than the actual plans. Um, I think it would be easier to change out the Star Destroyer or the, you know, to something else. Yeah, but those, uh, the Star Destroyers that show up don't really, or, sorry, no one's driven Death by Star. them. Death oh. Star. You accidentally swapped the name Death Star for the name of another thing that is yeah. in A -T -S -T -S -T -A -T, the story. <laughs> Dragon Ball DBZ. That He's, actually you know. is another MacGuffin of the Dragon Balls. I don't know a lot about Dragon Ball. I know that there are a thousand episodes, and I could say um, after a thousand episodes, maybe they are a MacGuffin after all. Because <laughs> that story has not ended, uh, and these thousand episode animes um, are, well, okay, I'll not share my opinion on them anyway let's i digress <laughs> this is uh yeah i think i think we've i think we've probably come to a conclusion that uh, the the death star plans are not really a MacGuffin. um so let's what are what are some other examples that we can talk about besides the dragon balls i've got one maybe i i've also got one let me go first because yeah yeah yours will probably be quicker yeah, uh, mine is also really, really old, because this okay. is a really, really old trope. All right. Are you familiar with uh, the myth, the Greek myth of Jason and the Argonauts and the quest for the Golden Fleece? Yes, I am loosely familiar with Me too. Uh, that myth. The Golden Fleece is a MacGuffin. Hmm. I... In the original, I would say probably. I would say yeah, probably. I don't remember all of it exactly. Um, the the entire point of the myth is that Jason uh, has pulled together a crew of heroes to go recover uh, to to obtain the golden fleece. But you really mm -hmm. could change out the golden fleece for pretty much anything, particularly shiny rare and valuable um that would require a long journey and uh, much heroism to obtain it is absolutely a macguffin i have to agree with you yeah. entirely yeah i couldn't remember all the details of the myth um i think it gets used mm -hmm. at some point in the story i just couldn't remember if they original reason they set out was for the golden please i can I can check. I think it was. Um... I was going to say also, the kind of pseudo-adaptation of that myth for the Percy Jackson series, in that case, it is not a MacGuffin, because they explicitly seek it out for its own properties, and it gets used and influences the plot. The fleece is actually, I believe, used by Polyphemus to lure satyrs, because it feels like what could be pan 
Um, as I recall in the original myth, the the fleece itself doesn't have any like supernatural properties. It's other than that, it is um, symbolic. Uh, it's a symbol of authority and kingship. So uh. you could replace that with like a crown or a scepter or whatever else might be, um, you know, a similar... A jar of golden pickles? In the land of the cucumbers. <laughs> the jar of golden pickles is the symbol of the crown. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's definitely... That's 100%. Like, that's... I'm more than comfortable. Um, I would say that's not really trivial, and it's not really in the gray zone at all um but uh yeah no i mean and that's that's uh that is a story with you know like a lot of myth mythological stories with that do have objects of significance and major plot device and a lot of definition and a lot of properties and um that do a lot of interesting things in some of these stories um, but but that's not one of them <laughs> not the fleece so the one I have, I think, is going to spark a bit of de a debate. Uh, it's also appropriate because we can get into this without Dylan here. Um, Vesper, how familiar are you with the locked tomb books? Not at all. Ooh. Mm. All right. Okay. Ian and I are about to get very normal. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? The Lictoral Theorems in Gideon the Ninth. Hmm. I think they're probably a MacGuffin. Okay. We don't uh, really learn hmm. anything super concrete about them. We get bits and pieces, but not much. Partly because Gideon is not entirely equipped to understand um, necromancy, and also because of the way necromancy is handled in the series. Everybody is motivated by them. And I think if you exchange that for if you exchange lectoral theorems for like the holy grail a the egg. story functions perfectly fine lictorhood does come with power and prestige within well it's it's power uh for one thing um lictors are the most powerful necromancers after um god himself and as such, that also comes with a whole mess of social prestige within the Empire. Yes. Hmm. But there are other things that could also grant that prestige. Finding some holy relic, for example. Yeah, so there's like a ritualistic object or something, right? Or some type yeah. of... Uh, uh... It is a... 10,000-year-old ritual that has been forgotten. Oh, it's a ritual. It's not an object. Yes. Yes. The process of getting the ninth is rediscovering that ritual and choosing to undergo that ritual. If you undergo the ritual, uh, it makes you immortal and um, Very incredibly powerful. powerful at necromancy. Okay, so there is that, but the question now is, is, sorry to jump in, I know I don't know anything about this, but as an outside perspective, there is now an el a different element we can kind of like look at, uh, and that would be the level of significance of the specifics. Like, um, we know what it does. Um, is it, is it uh, ever used or clearly defined in any kind of way? Is another one we can. It look is at. not clearly defined. The lictoral process. And if process, it was, would it? How much would it matter? Um. Okay. So the it it is eventually revealed what the eight steps are, and it's a plot twist near the end of the story what those are. Okay. Fair enough. Like, Ianthe uh, is the first to accomplish it, and she explains it when the rest of the survivors come upon her af after completing the ritual. 
I don't. Does she explain it in detail? Though I thought she was being kind of like coy and a bit of an asshole about it. Well, yes, because she's the answer. I understand the angle you're coming from. The angle you're coming from is specifically that it's even made to 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 be kind of less important uh, in the book itself. It's kind of almost like the author's dismissing certain details is what you're feeling. Um, I don't know if the author's dismissing certain... Part of it is that the perspective character, the narrator for the story, does not have a functional grasp of necromancy. And this is like postgraduate work in electrodynamics type of necromancy. Yeah, Yanthi is um, kind of coy and an asshole about it because that's who she is. Um, but she does outline the, the eight steps when she's explaining, um, what she did. That hmm. said, I think the trials themselves may be more of a MacGuffin. Well, the trials are each of the steps, right? The trials all combine for the eightfold word. The trials are designed to reveal the steps, but... Yanthi manages to pull the ritual off without actually going through any of the trials. That's that's part of her bragging when she does it. Yeah. Um, and it's what made Palamides so reluctant to go through with it because he was going through the trials and he's a he smart boy and he figured out what they were pointing at and was appalled. As was um, Silas. Yeah. Although Silas was only appalled after Ianthi revealed it because he hadn't... I don't think he had figured it out from what they'd been going through yet. He may was, not have. Yeah. I also just realized I made a little bit of a pun there, but it's not going to make sense to anybody who hasn't finished Nona. Why, you devilish man. I'll give you credit, even though I don't know the source. Material. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that episode and see if I listen to this episode and see if I could catch it. I don't. I don't think that makes the trials themselves MacGuffins, though, because not everybody really wants them, right? Um, Kitharia doesn't care too much about the electoral trials, and Ianthe obviously doesn't, because she figured it out without them. And that's enough of the cast not really being motivated by the trials. Although both are still motivated by the reveal of the Eightfold Word and the opportunities that that affords them both. I can't comment on this. I, I, mm. don't, I don't know anything about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're very lost. <laughs> <clears throat> I just thought I'd break the dead air. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, don't know. Sounds interesting. Read the books. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Well, uh, it's, yeah, it's a science fantasy all. series about lesbian necromancers in space. Send me the link, please. Okay, I will do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Gideon is probably books. one of my favorite pieces of published fiction, period. Mm -hmm. Like, top three. I see. And not because it's naughty. No. Um, okay. Smut doesn't really do a lot for me, honestly. Damn. Well, um, yeah, send it over. I'll take a look and uh, probably read it. Why not? You know, like science, science fiction fantasy. Fantasy, fantasy, fantasy. There's a lot of genres going on in the series. Yeah, that seems to be the thing to do these days, too. Um, I know that's not what we're talking about, but, you know, like uh, just combining science fiction and uh, fantasy genres together. Um, yeah. To kind of break things up a bit, <laughs> I guess. Okay, we are racking up the hours and I am getting increasingly tempted to make a joke that I really shouldn't since I know my mother listens to these episodes. Um... <laughs> Sorry, Mom. <laughs> let's get on to MacGuffin's strengths and this was actually part of why i brought up the locked tomb 
because you can make tropes are generally a shortcut of some kind it is a way to do things with less effort sure and that allows you to redirect that effort and put it elsewhere and i think probably the biggest strength of the mcguffins is they allow you to put less effort on making the wheels of the plot spin and instead focus on the characters and the character interactions which is a particular strength of giddy in the ninth i suppose that is a good good point in favor of that of um considering the lectoral theorem to be a macguffin of of that story yeah yeah macguffins especially the way they're talked about kind of get a bad rap I mean, hell, the way we talk about it, oh, you know, you could just replace them with a jar of pickles. Which is deeply entertaining to me, but also a little demeaning towards MacGuffins. They're a useful tool, especially if you struggle somewhat with plot and motivations, but you want to kind of have more fun playing around with your blurbos. And in that case, a MacGuffin may be a good choice, because... MacGuffins don't have to be something that's lame and uninteresting. Star Wars and Dragon Ball Z are some of the most popular and well-known franchises out there, and both of them center around things that are very MacGuffin-like. Yeah, that is true. Um, you know, it, uh, it almost depends on the lens that you're looking through right so i think with some stories it's important to also look at the entire composition as a whole because even the world building and the setting the time period and the politics that are occurring in that world can dramatically alter the the objects of interest inside the story you know in terms of like you know the plans are fit the universe uh you know everything's kind of you know the, the the perfect uh the perfect environment for bad things to happen um you know whereas dragon ball um just goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever <laughs> And uh, who cares? Anyway, who cares about Dragon Ball? <laughs> and you don't even necessarily need to really flesh out your MacGuffin if you just want to be playing with your Blorbos. One Piece has been running since before TVs came in 16 by 9 aspect ratio. And we still don't even know what the One Piece is. Yeah, but it has I been driving the plot of that series of that animation um but usually that is also the thing that comes out of my mouth when i speak on uh long-winded useless uh uh media that doesn't respect the viewer's time um i don't know they would probably make the argument that uh that they're receiving the ultimate fan treatment for having so much uh, content but um I don't know. I have a different opinion on the matter. <laughs> yeah, I read a bit of the manga some years ago that a former friend had. Can't say I was super impressed. Uh, it was kind of a neat concept, but I was never really hooked. So I uh, was not one of the unfortunate suckers who's, you know read it for 10 years or whatever that's good yeah i mean like with something like that especially if you want to do you know i think sometimes people really do enjoy characters inside of you know a particular world or what have you and um you know it's nice to be able to like have stories you know that revolve around characters that you know and all these good things and that 
um, with these animes, I don't really, <laughs> I don't really feel, you know, like, uh, that level of quality and, you know, the, the, the MacGuffin thing is, uh, definitely very present and strong in some of these long winded forever animes. Um, uh, whereas opposed to, you know, something like the X-Files, uh, was structured in a very interesting way. Um, in that you had things that drove like more immediate story aspects, um, you know, things that are contained within the season or part of a season and, or subplots to the greater plot. And then you had episodes that drove the overall narrative across seasons. Um, but they also had episodes where, um, they were like throwaway episodes. They, they were fun. You know, they were more character centric. They're a little more humorous. It even implied that everybody died in the end of a couple of them. You know, I think, uh, you can still, you can still, uh, you can still move a story somewhere and give people content. I think the important thing would be to just not, not not start these anime off with like MacGuffin that doesn't really ever produce any meaningful value. Um you know, and uh you know, X Files did did feel a bit in that way too, you know. Um for a long time, you know, Fox Mulder's sister was a MacGuffin. Um you know, because the whole mystery around her went on so long. There's so little information, you know, and then they started feeding stuff in. And you know, it's one of those things where it's almost a MacGuffin for a long time and maybe even an afterthought of the writers. You know, they maybe didn't even know what they were going to do with that story aspect, um, except for they just tried to make it interesting to give him a reason to be obsessed. But over time, you know, that whole plot point, um, was developed, you know, probably from what once was a MacGuffin to a major part of the story narrative, you know. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, uh... that, that's that's an interesting one too. Like MacGuffins that uh, that once were, but ultimately not. Um, you know, probably weren't planned to not be a MacGuffin in the beginning. Um, that would be a good example, I think, maybe of one of them. The Search for Mulder's Sister. I don't know if you guys are familiar with X-Files, but it's fantastic. Nope. I, uh, I never watched X-Files. I suppose my X-Files would be Fringe. I have seen I see. bits of Fringe. I need to actually sit down and watch the whole show. Um, one of my I, friends loves it, and I, I do recommend it. Marathons, he just puts it on for like three hours. Walter Bishop is a character. <laughs> <laughs> that he is. I have seen very few, like I've only seen a few episodes a long time ago. Um, in X-Files, essentially, Fox Mulder's sister is missing. Um, uh, post a abduction incident from his childhood and kind of explains his desperate attempt to do research on supernatural things uh, and happenings and mysterious things within the FBI cases that people don't want. And, uh, you know, kind of like um, give a little bit of weight to his uh, somewhat sad you know, almost sloppingly uh, mopey, but, uh, you know, driven character. Um, he really is a fantastic character because um, he's, he's very driven, but he, he doesn't look awake like a driven character does. Uh, you know, he always looks tired. Um, and there's just something about David Duchovny's face and his eyes too that just look that way, but 
in his character, he does appear to be under like severe amounts of depression and uh, even so still gets himself up and goes out and investigates uh, and goes to places he shouldn't go to <laughs> and gets himself in trouble. Um, but Fox Mulder's sister uh, was fairly much a MacGuffin, you know, even though it was intended to be uh, maybe something more in the future. It's um, you can definitely you can definitely tell there was a yeah. is almost kind of fit in as a story trait, you know, to kind of get things rolling. I I guess that would be another strength of MacGuffins for uh, serial works is you can have something that starts out as a MacGuffin and then it turns into a more um, developed plot point later down the road. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely a draw, especially for writers like myself who are drawn to fan fiction because they don't really have a lot of experience with writing and they want to play around in a space with a toolbox where there is there's stuff that's already a bit of a draw. There's characters you know and love and can kind of get to play with. And you don't necessarily want to do all the work of creating an original story. Yeah, and I would say, like, too, if you want to write something, you know, that maybe if you're lucky to, you can continue to, you know, and I'm saying this as not somebody who's a writer or any of that, but a consumer. Um, you know, should you be lucky to continue to write and have an audience um, and write a lot of stories, uh, just don't do the thing where you start off like as grand important, like BS nonsense and do some grand MacGuffin that never produces any real value. Um, because, you know, I think more interesting if people are interested in your characters and your world building and uh, the you know all the little details and the niceties um, I think you're better off doing like a long serial without it and just letting people enjoy the characters and the different stories that occur and um, you know I think I think uh Sometimes, you know, like a grand MacGuffin is kind of one of the worst plot devices that just doesn't need to be there. Um, and it can interfere with material that goes longer than, you know, a single, a single episode or a single movie or a single book or a single um, trilogy. Um, and it's just, you know... It's it's very self-important. Um, I, I do know that there is a lot of great fantasy and science fiction where, you know, throughout like a, like a season of books or whatever that, you know, they do have like grand plot points. But, you know, having having a grand MacGuffin, uh, again, going back to the anime thing, is just not necessary. And, uh, you know, an immortal MacGuffin, it's, it's cheesy in my opinion. It's bad. Um... But the problem is, is when you start off like that, you're, you have to commit to it. And then at some point you're going to have to decide to leave it in the background unexplained or destroy it, uh, within the series. Um, or you could just never, never have done it in the first place. All right. Well, we are running long on time. This is probably going to be one of our longest trip talks. Probably. So uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to cut it here as I have yeah. to get packing. This well, is the final episode of our first season of the show. We'll be coming back in about a month from this episode's air date with season two. We'll be talking more about genres in general next season. Do we have anything in the mailbag before we go on break? We still don't. So if anybody out there listening wants to get in touch with us, uh, you can send us an email. Uh, our address is fanfictapes at gmail.com. Uh, you can also contact us on Twitter. Maya, you run our Twitter. Our Twitter is at fanfictiontapes. Uh, if you would like regular updates of our episodes, 
our Twitter account, in addition to having occasional postings by me, does also post with our episode releases. And thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, thank you for joining us. I, I'm, I'm Vesper, and uh, I would like to say this. Thank you for having me on as a non-expert uh, and non-consumer of fan fiction and a non-writer. Um, I, I, you know, am interested in creative things, but uh, I do want to say, please write something. Uh, please send an email. Um, <laughs> now that I've been on this episode, I have seen the uh, episode document, and uh, it does say, um, you know, there is a, a mail section, and uh, it says none yet, and I, I thought that was incredibly incredibly sad so please send something in just there's one person if there's one person in the audience you have yeah. the power you have the power to be the first you have the power to to change lives you have the power to 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 make to make this less depressing <laughs> so just please i know you somebody somebody is listening and uh, uh, please write that email, um, you know, and... Uh, and if you want an example of something that you could email us about, um, you could, for instance, uh, email us uh, your take on one of our writing prompts or writing challenges. And I think we have one this episode, right, Maya? Yes. Use a MacGuffin to drive a character-focused story. So take advantage of the ability of MacGuffins to allow you to not focuses as much on the plot and do some character work with it. Yep. And please like and subscribe to the podcast. Like and subscribe and also comment below if you think the Star Wars blueprints, the Star Wars the Death Star plans are a MacGuffin or not. I think they're a MacGuffin. It's kind of in a gray territory. Mm, you know, but uh share your opinion. Um you know, have a conversation, and uh, yeah. All right. Thank you, Vesper, for coming on. It's been great to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me. I am and have been Maya. And I am our producer, Ian. Until next season, goodbye. Thank you.